sudden, I found myself in a New York City hospital, listening to the machines of the heart monitors in the background, hearing all the doctors and nurses, they're talking to me as if I wasn't in the room. So they're asking questions about me, not talking to me. And I didn't understand it. I would answer and they would ignore me. I would answer and they would ignore me. And I was getting frustrated. And I didn't realize why I was still in the hospital. I didn't realize because I was there for a symptom that was unrelated to my stroke. And apparently I had the stroke in the hospital. It wasn't until a few days later I realized that they weren't ignoring me. They just couldn't hear me because I wasn't speaking. When I was talking, I was talking to myself. Nothing was coming out because I had suffered a pun stroke and developed locked-in syndrome. I didn't realize the severity of it all. I just was kind of angry at first because everyone was ignoring me. And then little by little, I started figuring out what happened to me just because people were speaking about me. So then my mom showed up in the hospital and my brothers showed up in the hospital and I would hear them speaking and hear the doctors speaking about me and not to me. So you're saying there's a chance. Okay, I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I found the beauty of my situation, the fact that I was breathing The machines were breathing for me, but it didn't matter. I was breathing. I was alive. I was here another day. And that's going to give me the opportunity to work. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and welcome to Season 4 of Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. When a stroke occurs in the pons region of the brain, near the upper part of the brain stem, it's called a pontine stroke. These types of strokes can cause weakness on both sides of the body simultaneously, making them difficult to diagnose without an MRI scan. They can also cause locked-in syndrome, where the entire body, except for the eyes, becomes paralyzed. In this episode, we'll hear from Brisa Alfaro from Apple Valley, California. She was 32 when she suffered her stroke. I was a hairstylist. I lived and breathed working. I mean, I, I fully enjoyed it. And I, any spare moment I had, I filled it up with more work. And so I was a workaholic. I traveled around the country teaching in the beauty industry. I loved my life. My family was great. I was very close to my family, even though they were 3,000 miles away from me. They lived in California while I lived in New York. I was a high achiever and Basically, when everything happened, I was not having time for it. I thought, there's no possible way this could be happening to me because I do not have time for it. So basically, my recovery was based on, I need to hurry up and get better so that I can go back to work. I was 32 years old. I was working in the beauty industry and living a great life. I was working on celebrities in New York. I was traveling all over the country. I believed I was at the top of my game. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in a New York City hospital, listening to the machines of the heart monitors in the background, hearing all the doctors and nurses. They're talking to me as if I wasn't in the room. So they're asking questions about me 
not talking to me and I didn't understand it, I would answer and they would ignore me. I would answer and they would ignore me. And I was getting frustrated and I didn't realize why I was still in the hospital. I didn't realize because I was there for a symptom that was unrelated to my stroke. And apparently I had the stroke in the hospital, but the type of stroke that I had, I didn't understand that until much later because all of the signs that I was having, I didn't understand them. So I just thought everybody was ignoring me. I even got to the point where I was in my hospital bed and there was someone that came in from a car accident and they continued, my doctors and nurses were continuing to work on me. And I was thinking, I'm fine. Why are you working on me right now? I'm fine. And they just kept working on me and talking amongst themselves about, does she have any allergies and this and that? And I'm like, oh my God, it was driving me crazy. And I thought you guys should be working on him, that poor kid, not me, not me, I'm fine. But they continued and it wasn't until a few days later, I realized that they weren't ignoring me. They just couldn't hear me because I wasn't speaking. When I was talking, I was talking to myself. Nothing was coming out because I had suffered a pun stroke and developed locked-in syndrome. So I was essentially locked in my own body. So most people that have strokes, it affects a certain side of their body, as you know, the left or right, but mine happened in the middle, affecting both sides. And I was unable to speak, eat, communicate. I was like in a vegetative state. All I could move was my eyes. So I didn't realize the severity of it all. I just was kind of angry at first because everyone was ignoring me. And then little by little, I started figuring out what happened to me just because people were speaking about me. So then my mom showed up in the hospital and my brothers showed up in the hospital and I would hear them speaking and hear the doctors speaking about me and not to me. So that was something scary for me. I I just didn't understand what was going on. And it took hearing the doctors pronounce my fate to the other doctors. For me to have that will inside of me, for this not to be the last of my journey. So I heard the doctors say, Brisa had a stroke. She has a less than 1% chance to survive. She's basically locked in her body. She cannot communicate with the outside world. This is a very rare stroke and the odds of recovering fully are very slim. And this information scared me. And I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand, like, this could happen to me. I'm 32 years old. I'm so busy. If a stroke can happen to me, it can happen to anyone, right? So all I had to do was basically change my thoughts. The doctors were basically telling my mother to say goodbye to me. And so when he said I had a less than 1% chance, I was thinking, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I found the beauty of my situation, the fact that I was breathing. The machines were breathing for me, but it didn't matter. I was breathing. I was alive. I was here another day. And that's going to give me the opportunity to work. 
Against all odds, Brisa began to regain control of her movement. One day, my family is all gathered around in the hospital room, and they're all talking. And I so badly wanted to be a part of this conversation. I would hear them say certain things, and I'm, I just wanted to interject, but I, I couldn't. There, there was nothing that was coming out of my mouth. I was a vegetable laying in a bed. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to I say something. And I tried. I gathered up enough energy in my mind, and that energy passed the barricade in my brainstem. My brainstem had this barricade. Imagine this caution sign, this you cannot pass this area, like do not pass. I found a way past it, and I made it, this energy beam went all the way past my arm, went past my elbow, and made it all the way down to my hand. And I was able to gather enough energy to flicker my pinky. And that flicker of a pinky made everyone realize in that room, all of my family, like, oh my God, she's in there. She's there. She's able to communicate with us. Brisa, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you flicker your pinky one more time? And I did it one more time. So now they're so excited. My mom runs to go tell the the doctors. Well, my doctors disregarded my efforts and they said, ma'am, I know you want to believe it. I know you want it, but those movements are involuntary. And my mom's world just shattered. She started walking back to my room with her tail between her legs and to tell all the family that actually know those movements are just involuntary. It's not her trying to communicate. And then she realized, you know what? No, you're going to go back there. You're going to check her. So she turned around and she asked those doctors, no, my daughter's moving and she's moving on command. You need to go check her. So they came back in the room and they asked me, Risa, your mom says you're moving. Can you move for us? Can you show us a sign that you're still in your body, that you're trying, that you're trying to make a difference, that we can see what you're doing, that you're really trying? Okay, so I'm laying in this hospital bed and I'm realizing they're giving me another shot. Okay, I'm going to do it. Again, here comes that energy beam coming from my brain past the barricade all the way down to my elbow, past my arm, all the way to my wrist. And I'm going to move my pinky. I know I am. And I don't. And I don't. And they keep asking me, come on, Brisa, come on, Brisa. But the reality was I was tired and I didn't have enough energy to do it again. And that happens to us a lot in life where we try and try and try to make a difference. And we make a little bit of a ripple. We make a little bit of a difference, but then we stop. And then it's almost like People give up on us because that's what was happening around me. My doctors were kind of like, oh, she's not, she's not doing it. I'm sorry. I, I know you want to believe it, but, and my mom's like, no, 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 keep, keep, keep trying. And sometimes that's what we need. It's just more people to believe in us and a little bit more time, a little bit more time for the universe to work in our favor and a little bit more time for us to believe in ourselves. So now I was starting to change the negative chatter that was going out in my mind because I was thinking, well, maybe I can't do this again. Maybe I can't show them a sign. So then finally, I stopped thinking that and I started thinking, no, I am going to show them a sign. 
And that moment, I was able to get that energy beam to reach my pinky and flicker my pinky one more time so that the doctors and everyone in the room could see that I was still in my body, that I was still here, and I am working to get back to my 100%, that I'm, I don't want you to give up on me. I'm still here. And so that was the first moment that hope was restored in my family, in my doctors, in myself. I realized, okay, if I can do that, then what else can I do? Coming up on Stroke Stories, Brisa on sharing her story. I'm proud that I can inspire lives and I can coach other stroke survivors and speak on other stages and and people that don't even have deficits such as our community. I can inspire them to just flicker their pinky. Just make a pinky move in the direction of your goals and be surprised on where you end up. And on embracing her new life. Regardless of this deficit, I'm doing it anyways. I'm trying anyways. I believe that it helps them realize that they can do it too, no matter what they're going through. So I don't really see my deficits as a deficit. I see it as an ability. And I just keep focusing on what I can do and opposed to what I can't do. And in return, I get more of that. Let's hear more about Brisa's physical recovery. That pinky move evolved to flickering it over and over again to making my hand move, to making my arm move, to making the right side of my body move. Later, I was able to be released from the hospital and I was in a wheelchair. I was able to speak now. I was able to breathe on my own, but I was still in a wheelchair and I wanted more. Everything that I was accomplishing, I realized it's all going to be a pinky move. See, a pinky move is a micro move in the direction of your goals. And it's ultimately leading to massive success. So if all I have to do is just compound those pinky moves, I'll be able to get out of this wheelchair. I'll be able to walk with a walker. I'll be able to walk with a cane. I'll be able to walk unassisted. And that's what I kept doing over and over and over again. I was just focusing on my pinky moves and celebrating them every time I made them. So what I wasn't running marathons. So what I wasn't doing the work that I used to do. I, what I'm doing right now is more fulfilling, fulfilling than everything that I've ever done because Right now, I get to speak to inspire the human soul to realize that their dreams are only a pinky move away. This message is for anyone that feels locked or imprisoned into their circumstances because it's not that. You are the creator of your own destiny. And I realized with that one slight pinky move, I built on that. And I just kept building on it. And one thing would lead to another until I created the life that I wanted. And today, I'm an international number one best-selling author. I get to speak on podcasts and stages all over the world. I barely recognize who I am today 
because I mean, yeah, before my stroke, I was pretty proud of my accomplishments, but after my stroke, that is what I'm proud of. I'm proud that I can inspire lives and I can coach other stroke survivors and speak on other stages and and people that don't even have deficits such as our community. I can inspire them to just flicker their pinky, just make a pinky move in the direction of your goals and be surprised on where you end up. Although several years have now passed since her stroke, Brisa continues to work on her mobility. Physically speaking, I have been working on my physical recovery for the most part. When I, As soon as I was able to, I worked on my recovery day in and day out, every single moment of the day. And it worked in my favor because I 100% got my physical deficits back. And it's been many years of working on it, but my mobility is 100%. I am still working on short-term memory and my cognitive thinking. I'm still working on just invisible deficits. And and I think that's going to be a lifelong battle with, with all of us. And, and that's okay. I just don't focus on them. I have a lot of brain fog. I, I work around them because of my short-term memory, because of uh, my ability to not understand numbers. I honestly feel when I share my deficits with other people and I, re- I let them know that regardless of this deficit, I'm doing it anyways. I'm trying anyways. I believe that it helps them realize that they can do it too, no matter what they're going through. So I don't really see my deficits as a deficit. I see it as an ability and I just keep focusing on what I can do and opposed to what I can't do. And in return, I get more of that. Ambrisa thinks you should celebrate every victory no matter how small. The advice that I would give to stroke survivor is celebrate. Celebrate every little thing that you're doing. A lot of us as stroke survivors, we forget to do that. And because we focus on so much of what we don't have anymore. We focus so much on on how our deficits are taken over. And I feel like it's very easy to fall into the trap of, of woe is me and feel sorry for me. And um, I don't have this anymore and I can't do this anymore. It's very easy to fall into that trap. But I feel like what helped me the most was celebrate. When you start celebrating what you do have, and what you can accomplish, and what you've already accomplished. doesn't matter how big or small. I'm standing here today because I celebrated a pinky move. I didn't walk. I wanted to walk. I wanted to be in a wheelchair. I wanted to be home. I wanted to, to live a life again. But I had to focus on the little micro moves that were going to get me to where I want to be. And that was celebrating my pinky move. So if you can go home and celebrate what you're already doing now, you're going to receive more of it. You're going to receive more celebrations because what gets celebrated gets repeated. I believe that that is 100% 
what you need to focus on as a stroke survivor is just celebrate. And sometimes you have to celebrate yourself and it's not going to be a big party. All you're doing is being proud of yourself and thinking, yes, I did this and I did that. And because everybody else around you, especially your loved ones, they're going to do it for you. You have to also accept it and do it with them. So that's going into what advice I would give to family members. I think being their cheerleaders, pushing them and allowing them to see that what you're doing matters, that these little tiny micro moves matter. And because you're cheering them on, I mean, every every game needs to have cheerleaders. Those cheerleaders cannot play the game. They cannot win the game. But they also help in achieving our victories, achieving our goals, becoming, you know, world-class. Because how many times would you watch sports on TV and they don't have fans in the stage? They don't have cheerleaders on the sidelines. They don't, they don't have uh, people cheering them on to get to their goals, which their goals are to win. You sometimes need those people. So I believe that family members have the ability to push that positivity, to push them, to, to push them to have no option B. Sometimes you have to remind them. Sometimes you have to remind us as stroke survivors, don't, don't give up. There is no option B. You said you wanted this and you have to remember that as a caretaker, as a family member, you have to remember what, what is it they said they wanted? And remember that when those dark days come around, because there will be those days. Remember those things that, that they said they wanted. They, they said they wanted to live like this. They said they wanted to do these things. So remind them of their no option B. I will walk again. I will do this. I will do that. Remind them. Remember when you said this. Remember when you were talking to me and you were so excited that you wanted to to live a full life and go back to work and, and all these things. Remember, tap into that emotion again while you're recovering because that's so important. It's so important in recovery. Doctors gave Brisa less than a 1% chance of survival after her stroke, but against all the odds, she's made an almost complete physical recovery. Thanks very much for supporting Stroke Stories. Please do rate and comment on the episodes you hear, and do share them with friends to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.